The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Well, today we're going to be talking about um, the prison break, and I'm putting Joyce Mitchell on the couch a.k.a. Tilly, that's what she used to be called, or maybe is still called. Um, and Tilly um, is currently sitting in jail while the prisoners that she helped escape from the Clinton Correctional Facility in upstate New York are anywhere, anybody's guess. Uh, that's a kind of twisted irony. She's wearing black and white prison, uh, typical, stereotypical prison clothes, and uh, they're out there in their uh, civilian clothes, in not necessarily having the time of their life, although that's quite possible, certainly the time of, you know, better than the years that they spent in the Clinton Correctional Facility. Um, and, and so today we're going to be putting her on the couch and taking a look at why women fall in love with bad boys. That was my first book, Bad Boys, Why We Love Them, How to Live With Them, and When to Leave Them. And in that book, I talk about 12 different types of bad boys, and one of the types I call the lethal lover, and that is the type of man who is an inmate in jail or prison and uh, the women who love them. So we'll be talking about that, those psychodynamics in a little while, but for right now, let's start with uh, the actual story. I mean, I know a lot of it has been in the news, a lot of it m many of you have heard um, but I'm going to be analyzing different aspects of the story that you may have already heard, but not the, not the analysis. Um, for example, one of the things that really interests me is the fact that these prisoners have um, not yet been caught, or n there isn't even really uh, any good leads. I mean, people are calling in tips presumably all the time, but uh, and and they have been looking primarily around the Clinton Correctional Facility in upstate New York, the Adirondacks. And um, I, think, I think that these two prisoners, David Sweat and Richard Matt, are far gone from, from there. Um, let, me, let me just back up a little bit for some of you who haven't really heard the, the, some of the details of the story. Let me just kind of set the stage here. Um, these two prisoners were in this prison for uh, having murdered people um, in really, really horrendous kinds of crimes, but they were in the honor part of the prison. They had um, been good prisoners, good little boys, good little bad boys, and um, so they had certain privileges like getting to wear their own street clothes 
and getting to be in, getting to make dinners and getting to socialize and um, getting to be in some shops. And so they were actually in the tailoring shop um, where Joyce Mitchell was the supervisor. And um, Joyce and David and Richard were sewing more than clothes in this tailor shop. Um, they were sewing their plot for how to escape. And she was a big part of it. Um, she, in fact, smuggled in the tools, um, or smuggled it in or got it from the contractors there. That part hasn't really been uh, clearly even, well, I was going to say clearly described, but even I don't think it's even all known yet, or at least they're not telling us. But in any case, there are, there are certain tools we do know that she um, gave them the tools that allowed them to break through the walls, um, brick and so on, and get through a steam pipe and emerge through uh, a man until they would reach a manhole outside the prison grounds. Now, this was obviously not something that they could have done overnight. Um, and one of the things that's been people have been kind of scratching their head about is how is it that the other prisoners nearby um, didn't hear them making the noise as they was as they were sawing and and hammering and whatever they were doing to get through to cut through a steel wall and and through bricks and so on and so um, there's been some commentary about how um, prisoners kind of cover for other prisoners or at least in the in the area of the prison that David and Richard were at. Um, so good old Joyce uh, became friendly with these two prisoners in her tailor shop um, on the grounds and in the prison. And um, what's, what's interesting is that there had been, at the beginning of this year, some, somebody who noted that she seemed to be getting a little too close to David. Um, and they thought maybe something romantic or and or sexual uh, was going on between the two of them. And, um, it, it, you know, they talk about a source who reported this to the prison. It seems like it was perhaps uh, someone else who worked there. Um, and uh, what the, pri the prison investigated, and they ended up moving David out of this tailor shop. But... Um, and there does seem, in fact, to have been something sexual that went on between the two of them, uh, but, although that's still somewhat up in the air at this point. But with, with David gone, Richard Matt um, became the focus of attention um, of Joyce. He may have actually been her focus all along. He was certainly the, the better-looking one and the more charming one. He is known to have girlfriends wherever he went, uh, he has that sociopathic charm, and uh, he's also been described by the police um, as well-endowed, handsome and well-endowed, and a womanizer. So Richard had a better chance than, than David to begin with, who was a rather scrawny-looking guy. <laughs> Not that it's all about that. but um, And so Richard worked his magic and got Joyce to fall in love with him. She talks about how he made her feel special. And um, they hatched a plot, or sewed a plot, I should say, um, to run away together. She was going to be, be driving the getaway vehicle, and the three of them 
were going to go off into the sunset together. And um, what one of the interesting aspects of this is how at the last minute, Joyce decided not to show up. Um, she instead went to a hospital, a nearby hospital, because she was having a panic attack and chest pain. And her son has said, has given interviews, and he's said that she has had panic attacks before. Now, why did Joyce, after all these months, um, at least months, of um, plotting all of this, you know, falling in love with Richard Matt, um, wanting to go off into the sunset with him, why did she leave him in the lurch at the manhole <laughs> outside the prison after... Um, you know, smuggling and planning and all of the other things that she did, lending him her cell phone, all of the other things that she did to help him along the way. Well, you know, there, there are speculation. One uh, thought, you know, presumably what she's saying is that um, she, she, well, she has said that she realized um, at the last minute that she loved her husband and that the grass wasn't greener. Well, really, after all these months, you know, at the very last minute she realized this, I don't know, um, perhaps it was, it became too scary to her to, uh, the idea of going off into the sunset um, with the two, with these two killers, murderers, you know, really um, dangerous, brutal murderers, uh, maybe, you know, maybe she, maybe she didn't like David hanging around. <laughs> I don't know if she was into threesomes. Um, maybe she was. But, um, but at that point, she was really into Richard Matt and perhaps thought that, uh, that it wasn't going to be so much fun with the two of them. But, but what, what I also think is a possibility is that at that point, she, she, her low self-esteem, which she clearly has, um, got the better of her. And perhaps she suddenly realized that just maybe Richard Matt was using her, that maybe he wasn't as much in love with her as he led her to believe so that she would bring them the tools to escape. And I think that in a way, consciously or unconsciously, it was her way of foiling the escape, you know, of getting angry at him and thinking, huh, I'm not going to be, you think you've, you've uh, manipulated me, you think I, I believe all the lines that you've been sending me, that you're really madly in love with me, well, we'll just see about that. And then she didn't show up. Now, of course, there seems to be this thought that, that because she didn't show up with the getaway car, that they must be close to the prison. But we know that her phone was used to call people connected to Richard Matt. Now, uh, but it is what isn't known, or what isn't we have, what, what at least isn't reported yet in the media, is that is who made those calls. Whether she made the calls for him, or he made the calls, or um, you know who made the calls. But clearly, they already know that these were the people that were called were people who were connected to him. So if Richard Matt was making all these calls or were having, well, pres presuming that he made the calls, I mean, I don't really think that would be that uh, difficult to do once they were in this tailor shop and she was a supervisor. Um, you know, it's pretty easy to, to kind of hide that you're <laughs> making a cell phone call. People do it every day um, who aren't in prison. <laughs> um, so, 
you know, clearly it seems likely that he was calling people on the outside who were going to be helping him with the escape. Um, I, I think he had a plan B that uh, somebody else would would pick him up, pick him and David up at the manhole outside the prison once they escaped, um, or that somebody who would be, um, you know, people who would help him once they got out of the prison as far as not just driving them somewhere, but um, harboring them. You know, it, it was something having to do with his plan to escape. And so maybe she realized, you know, with his borrowing her phone so many times, she might have gotten the hint that maybe he wasn't planning on going with her out into the sunset. In fact, maybe she thought she was bringing the getaway car, and all along he had someone else that was going to be doing that. Um, maybe he planned to, you know, say thanks a lot and go off in a car with somebody else, because clearly he wasn't really in love with her. Um, you know, to, despite what she thought. So, so here we have this story, the two, the two prisoners still on the loose. I mean, they could be halfway around the world by now. Um, because obviously these men who had, you know, perhaps, I mean, you could say perhaps they weren't the brightest bulbs in the, in the box, um, as far as, you know, why murdering people and ending up in prison. But, um, although that isn't necessarily true, I mean it isn't really it doesn't have as much to do with intelligence as it does with with their childhoods, the things that made them bad boys in the first place. Uh, um, but certainly, you know, it was very clever and very well. Their, their escape was incredibly well thought out. So I hardly think that they got out of the manhole, <laughs> looked around, said, "Oops, Joyce isn't here. What do we do?" I think I think they had that planned out just as well as they had the rest of it. So when we come back, we'll hear more. Put Joyce and the prisoners on the couch, bad boys and bad girls. We'll talk about how she's a bad girl as well when we come back. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, 
Here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Today we're putting Joyce Mitchell on the couch, the woman who uh, helped the two prisoners in upstate New York escape from the Clinton Correctional Facility, a high-security prison. This is the first escape since this, this prison's history. Um, and we're talking about the two bad boys, uh, the two prisoners, and they were very bad boys. Um, the the first one, David, um, was convicted in 2002 of the killing of a sheriff's deputy, and he was serving life without parole. So he had no other way. There was nothing. If he didn't escape um, by his own by his own hands, <laughs> literally, um, there was no escape for him. There was no chance of parole. Now. Richard Matt was serving 25 years to life, and his crime was even more gruesome. He kidnapped and dismembered his boss in 1997. So, and the way that he did it, it was all about money for him. Um, He had a boss, an older man, and um, he he kidnapped the boss, and he um, he. He put the boss in the, the the boss wouldn't tell him where the money was, so he was convinced that the, that his boss had tons of money, and he um, he put his boss in the trunk, and he put um, the duct tape around his fingers. He bent his fingers back until they broke, and then he snapped his neck, this boss's neck, with his bare hands. Now, I mean, that tells you a lot about someone. Um, before that, he had beaten the boss. Um, at the boss's home, he had eaten a pe- pepperoni, and, and he drank wine. He um, poured the rest of the wine on the boss, and then he he pulled off the boss's hairpiece and put it in his pocket. And then he went to Mexico, and he spent some time in jail in Mexico um, at, because he killed a man outside a bar there. So this is a um, this is, you know, this is a sociopath. This is a cold-blooded killer. And he then returned from Mexico to the States in 2007, and he was uh, tried, and he was, um, the, the crime was in 1997, but then he was tried after he got back from Mexico after 2007, and he was found guilty pretty quickly. So, um, so these are the two guys we're dealing with, and they're guys who you know, felt, uh, I guess, I guess um, Richard Matt didn't want to wait and see whether he was going to get paroled. He didn't really think probably that his chances were very good. Matt was 48 years old. Um, David was 34 years old. Um, so, you know, okay, so if Matt had 25, 25 to life, but he wouldn't have spent all 25, but still, he was he was feeling desperate enough to want to try some other way to uh, to get out other than ra- waiting and taking a chance on because because actually after having do- after having killed two people one in Mexico and one in the states in cold at least the cold blooded way that he killed his boss um, chances are he probably wouldn't have gotten parole so they they were desperate are still desperate. Uh, certainly do not want to be caught and go back to prison. They are, um, you know, of course they would, would not think twice about killing people who stood in their way uh, who are, uh, of not getting caught. And so these are various 
very dangerous people who are roaming around somewhere. Now let's talk about Joyce Mitchell. Now, you know, at the very beginning when I heard this story, I was thinking, oh, there we go, bad boys. And as I said, I'm going to talk about why women fall for them. Um, but, you know, these, these bad boys uh, convinced this poor woman, Joyce Mitchell, to, uh, you know, fall in love, at least with Richard, and, um, and she was used, and, you know, she, and now she's in, she's in a lot of trouble, and poor Joyce. But then the story started coming out about Joyce, where she is obviously a bad girl in her own right, which, is, as many of you know, was my more recent book, Bad Girls, Why Men Love Them, and How Good Girls Can uh, Learn Their Secrets. Now, why Richard Matt loved her, loved in, in single quotes, was because she was his, um, she was vulnerable to him. She was his best uh, tool for getting out of prison. So he did manipulate her. But now we hear from um, Joyce's ex-husband, and he tells a kind of different story about her. Um, he talks about her as a, he has revealed that she was a serial cheater. She cheated on him with at least two men. One of them was, the, was her current husband, the man she is currently married to, Lyle Mitchell. And um, she met Lyle Mitchell in, this, in, in her place of work. <laughs> she has a pattern of meeting men where she works. And um, she worked at the True Stitch Slipper Factory in New York. And uh, she met Lyle uh, Mitchell, and he worked in, the, in this factory as well. Um, he was a mechanic. And um, there, there were reports of people having sex on the railroad tracks outside the factory. And she was gossiping about it. In fact, it seemed like she wanted to draw attention to that. And then it was discovered that she and her well, boyfriend at the time, Lyle, uh, were the ones having sex on the railroad tracks. So obviously this is a woman ne re right next to the factory. So obviously this is a woman who likes danger or has been, you know, <sighs> has been used to danger, living in a dangerous environment when she was growing up as a little girl. And um, so there she was having sex on the railroad tracks. She eventually, uh, her marriage with her first husband broke up and Lyle's marriage with his wife broke up, and the two of them married each other. And um, I, I don't know if you've seen pictures of the house that they live in, which is supposed to be about an hour from the prison. Uh, her husband, Lyle, um, works at the prison as well. So she was doing this right under his nose, um, not on the railroad tracks, <laughs> but right under his nose in the same prison. And uh, close to where, you know, essentially the same, the same pattern um, where she worked, you know. Um, and, and she had the same idea that she was going to ha have an affair or she was having an affair um, to whatever extent it got consummated with um, Richard Matt. And her plan was to, to run off with him, you know, to dump Lyle and to go off with this next guy who she met at work and was you know, having the excitement of having this liaison with him at work. And um, 
and then apparently the, her first husband also talks about how he found out that there was another man uh, at the factory before she worked at the prison. There was another man that um, Joyce went on was having sex with as well. So and and uh, the girlfriend of this man apparently told him about it. Now what's also interesting is that when she was working at this uh, this factory, a flipper factory. Um, there were, they spoke to some co-workers from there, and they talked about how she was always a troublemaker at the factory even, before she got to the prison. Um, and she would always be trying to get other people into trouble. And somebody um, who, who worked at the prison, um, and apparently who knew that she was a troublemaker, told the prison not to hire her because she would cause trouble. And they didn't listen to whoever this was, this source. Um, and, and they didn't listen, and now look what happened. <laughs> he was right. He or she was right. So, um, so in fact, uh, you know, that isn't to say that, that she wasn't manipulated. Obviously, she still was, and obviously he did play upon her low self-esteem, to get her to do whatever he wanted. I'm talking now about Richard Matt um, at the prison. Uh, and, you know, got her to, without her, uh, they wouldn't have been able to escape unless, I mean, I guess theoretically they could have found some other woman who would have had similarly low self-esteem looking for a man to make her feel special and um, who would have who, you know, could well have helped them escape. But they had to really plan all that very carefully because, um, you know, you can't just sit around and chat with somebody who works at the prison and start talking about how, hey, <laughs> I'm thinking about escaping here. What do you think? What do you think about that? Do you think you could maybe help me with that? So, um, so you know, this thing, this was all very, very carefully done. Um you know, I started to say they, they live at a home about an hour away from the prison, Joyce and her husband. Um, and if you've seen pictures of the home, that really says it all. It's a gray, at least it looks gray in the pictures. It's a very sort of run-down home, a gray home. It's interesting that it's gray when, you know, you think of prisons being gray, and then they, go, they work at the prison and they go home to a gray house. Um, and it seems as though her life was gray. She might well have been pretty when she was younger, but she clearly has let herself go, and she's overweight, she dresses in a frumpy way. Um, I don't mean to sound catty, which I know I do <laughs> sound, but, um, but this is not, I mean, this isn't a woman walking around with miniskirts, and not that they'd let her do that anyway, working at a prison, but... Um, but I mean, in pictures, not not in relate, not in the prison. I mean, not in her staff clothes, but just in, in pictures that they have printed, um, where she's seen in other kinds of situations. This is not, you know, she's she's really someone. You can tell that she really has low self-esteem. Doesn't really think much of herself. She needed to have um, to feel that men were still attracted to her. And in fact, in a way, looking at the situation with the railroad tracks and looking at this, this plan to go away with the, with the prisoners, um, what she was really doing was flaunting how she was able to get these men to fall in love with her that, and how you know, they, would, they would even have sex with her in these really dangerous places. Um, now, you know, yes, she was telling herself a story about, about the prisoner, about Richard Matt, um, but 
but, you know, she must have imagined what that was going to be like, the headlines um, about how this, this big, this bad boy uh, would, would escape, you know, the, the fantasy that she would have had or would have hoped that people had uh, after the escape was that he, he loved her so much, the prisoner loved her so much that he was driven to make this dangerous escape in order to be with her, to go off with her into the sunset. That's a very romantic notion, and that's the kind of thing that women have, um, especially when they um, don't feel that their real life is that is that exciting or romantic. Um, so, so th- there you have it. Um, this is why this is why she was driven to do it. What's really sad is is how her son has gotten. Uh, caught up in this. She has a son from her first marriage, and he's been defending his mother in the press and saying, no, she would never have done such a thing. There has to be some mistake. And, you know, obviously he doesn't want to believe that she would have left him and left his stepfather and gone off with this prisoner. Well, we'll talk more about her, about bad girls, bad boys, why women fall in love with them when we come back. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking with you today about the prison break, putting Joyce Mitchell on the couch. I wish I knew more about the childhoods of all of these characters, the bad boys, David and Richard, and the bad girl, Joyce. Um, we do know that uh, Joyce's mother has flown the coop. Um, she's moved out of her house. You know, obviously the media must have been surrounding her house. And um, she, uh, you know, she, she, she wrote it. She left a sign out on the front porch. It said something like, all because two people fell in love. Um, you know, <laughs> that's a in- really interesting sign. Obviously, she's talking about uh, Richard and Joyce and uh, must have been sold a bill of goods. Joyce must have told her about how they're in love and how they're, 
you know, going to go off into the sunset. Although you kind of wonder about a mother who um, thinks that that's a great idea for her to be going off with this cold-blooded killer who killed two people, one of them, one of them in in just such an incredibly um, cold-mannered way. Um, but you know, I guess maybe I don't know. I haven't. Uh, I don't know enough about her mother to analyze her, <laughs> put her on the couch. But it's just an interesting sign, all because two people fell in love, or words to that effect. Um, so she has bought into the romantic fantasy that Joyce had and had told her about, presumably. Um, you know, I want to make sure that that I mention what. You know, I said that when I first heard heard about this, I was feeling really sorry for Joyce and how she uh, fell victim to um, Richard Matt and how he manipulated her and he really wasn't in love with her. Um, he just used her and he was a bad boy and all of that. And then, of course, as I as more of this uh, information came out from her ex husband about how she was a serial cheater and and uh, cheated on him and married that you know all these different. Stories. She doesn't didn't seem like the poor little innocent victim uh, that she had seemed at first. But I still kind of feel sorry for her because um, I mean because she's in deep trouble. <laughs> and she has when they when they first um, when this, when they first discovered that the prisoners had escaped, and that was by um, it was not as soon as they might have because the prisoners put clothes in their bed to make it look like they were still sleeping there. So they know that the prisoners left sometime between Friday night and Saturday morning. They discovered them Saturday morning, but they don't know when. And, of course, the chase was delayed by the guards who made the rounds thinking that these guys were still in bed. But, um, meanwhile, Joyce is charged with contraband in the first degree, which is a felony, and criminal facilitation in the fourth degree, a misdemeanor. And I'm sure she's going to be charged with a lot more before this is all over, because apparently she is responsible for any crimes that these two prisoners commit um, after they've escaped. So if they kill somebody, or if they rob a store, or whatever it is that they do, whatever crimes they do, she is going to be responsible for that, too. She's going to be charged with something related to those crimes. Now, um, I do feel sorry for she. She is she. There is a kind of naivete about her because um, she was telling all the you know they got her the, the police got her the investigators got her to talk about to tell whatever it is that she knew about this prison break, and um, they didn't charge her with anything at first because they knew that once they charged her with something that then she would get a lawyer. And when she got a lawyer, then, of course, the lawyer would tell her to shut up. <laughs> She's telling too much. Um, so, so that, you know, it, so she was manipulated by the investigators as well. And not because I don't think they made her fall in love with them, but, you know, well, I guess it, it speaks to her relationship. Well, you know, it speaks to her childhood as well, trying to be, I mean, at that point, she might have been, well, they use all kinds of um, all kinds of tactics to get people to confess, to get people to talk. So I'm not really, I can't be sure of which specific tactic they used with her, but certainly what they did was to get her to talk way too much before they charged her and before she got a lawyer. Um, 
you know, now she's talking so much about, as I was mentioning, she's talking about how she didn't go with them because she realized her, she loved her husband. She needs her husband. She needs her family, who are apparently so far standing by her, um, because she needs their help as far as her trial and, and um, is concerned. Uh, you know, support as this, as this story unfolds. Now, why do women love bad boys, and why do women love particularly the type that these men are, the, the uh, lethal lovers? Well, why women love bad boys in general has to do with their relationship with their father when they're little girls. And um, I mentioned that I defined 12 different types of bad boys, and um, the lethal lover, of course, is the most dangerous. And... Um, the, depending upon the kind of dysfunctional relationship that a woman has with her father growing up, a little girl has with her father, uh, that will drive the woman into the arms of a certain type of bad boy. So the lethal lovers, the type of relationship that a woman would have with her father, would be uh, where the father is a cold-blooded, not necessarily killer, but where the father is extremely cold, where there's no... You know, like I was talking about the uh, cold-hearted sociopath, um, the father, her father, uh, a, a father of a woman who goes for these kinds of men would have been extremely cold and would have been abusive, physically abusive and or sexually abusive in a very cold, detached, um, cruel way. And so then you think, well, why would a woman who grew up with a father like that be attracted to a similar type of man? And not all, not all the bad boys that women are attracted to are like their fathers. Sometimes they're the opposite of their fathers, and sometimes it's some other kind of characteristic. But it's a, psych, a psychological um, pattern, a psychodynamic that the woman is looking for and consciously looking for because she's trying to make her story come out with a happier ending. It wasn't happy, you know, when she was a child. Her relationship with her father wasn't happy, and she's looking for a man to recreate a relationship with that will play out to try to solve what was wrong with her relationship with her father. So sometimes it's the same, sometimes it's the opposite, and sometimes it's just some other kind of uh, personality that allows her to work out this story. So um, so why would she be with a man that is similar to her father in this kind of cold, cruel way? Because it's something that she is familiar with, that she was familiar with. There was danger in her household. You know, having sex on the railroad tracks, um, that's a danger. She created a dangerous situation for herself. I mean, it's one thing to have an affair. That's kind of, there's an air of danger, of course, in any affair. It's, you know, the forbidden, um, the chance of getting caught and all of that. But when you have sex on the railroad tracks, Right next to you, the factory where, you know, there must be a ton of people going by, um, going into that factory, in and out, that's asking for more danger. That's asking, taking more of a risk. And so her home, when she was a little girl, must have been one in which there was danger, an air of danger, a situation that was dangerous in some way. And so what she was doing by being by the railroad tracks, creating a scene of danger, a situation that's dangerous, and now, of course, even upping the ante with these prisoners um, and having some kind of sexual something or other that we haven't, like, heard the details of yet and having some kind of sexual something or other <laughs> with the other prisoner as well, um, Richard Matt. Um, and certainly we don't know, for, I can't tell you for a fact that she had intercourse 
in the prison with either of these prisoners. Um, there, you know, there are these reports, maybe oral sex. There's, it's not, it's, it hasn't been, if it's known, it certainly hasn't been reported. But one thing I can say, that her fantasy life at the prison, in her home, in her bed, um, masturbating with fantasies of um, Richard Matt, uh, fantasies of going, uh, being with him, fa- having sexual fantasies about him while she was having sex with her husband. I mean, I would say that those things are probably pretty much of a given, even though um, it's not 100% clear or sure the, as to her having had intercourse at the prison with either of these prisoners. Um, so why else? So, so, so this kind of sexual excitement um, in fantasies, in reality, um, is what drives these, as well as the romance, what I've been talking about, you know, this, this um, wanting to flaunt to the world how desirable she must be, even though she feels the opposite of desirable. Uh, all of these things go into it. Another aspect of it um, is how... These prisoners, these murderers um, who were in for very long sentences, um, are in a sense like the lion who is stalking the village. You know, they are dangerous. They are um, locked away, but like you know, they were stalking the village when they made their killings and so on. They were they were thought of, and just like now, actually, they're thought of as um, prowling around the village and everybody's scared and so on. Well, if she can be the woman who pulls the thorn out of the paw of one of these lions, dangerous lions, then she becomes the most powerful woman. In other words, um, even though as a child she would have felt helpless because of being abused by her father um, and the cruelty and the coldness and then the danger in the house, so she would have felt helpless. In, in the face of all of that danger. But if she's the one now who provides the tools for the escape of this bad, baddest boy of all, um, who then she becomes not helpless, but she becomes the most powerful one. Look, everyone, you know, everyone's reading about her, hearing about her. Um, and, you know, look at this woman who, who, who essentially um, enabled these men, facilitated it, or managed to, without her... At least at this point, they wouldn't have been able to escape. So this escape, which is the first escape, the only escape from that prison since it was created year, over 100 years ago, um, she is the one who did it. And so she can now feel powerful as opposed to how she felt helpless when she was a little girl living in her house of danger. Um, she's also lonely, clearly, even though she has a husband. You know, she looks like she seems like she lives a lonely, dreary, gray life like the house. Um, she, she identifies with uh, the lethal lover because in her life she felt like an unloved outcast. She gets vicarious pleasure from knowing that he hurt others. In other words, um, where she was the one who felt like the low man on the totem pole uh, and helpless, she could get vicarious pleasure from knowing that she's with someone um, you know, even when they were just hatching the plans, she was with him, so to speak, um, who was super powerful and who had the powerful to hurt others, hurt people who had hurt him, and just like she would have had fantasies of revenge for people in her life who had who hurt her. So we have another break. Um, we need to take another break. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. 
I'll be right back and talk more about um, putting the bad girls and bad boys on the couch. And we'll uh, continue with Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll be right back. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking with you today about the prison escape in upstate New York, putting Joyce Mitchell on the couch, and uh, talking about how the two prisoners are bad boys, the worst kind of bad boy, lethal lovers, as I describe in my book, and Joyce Mitchell actually being um, a bad girl, as I also describe in my book. She would be um, the uh, uh, married woman on the prowl would be what type of bad girl she is. Um, And women who, you know, there's a connection between women who love bad boys and women who become bad girls. What happens is it all goes back to the daddy. (laughs) Um, it all goes back to the dysfunctional relationship that a woman has with her daddy. Now, the women who go for these lethal, level, lethal lovers um, have the, the most dysfunctional kind of relationship. But there are other relationships um, that don't have to be, you know, because a lot of times I, I, when I talk to women and I, um, about, you know, their relation, bad boy relationships, um, they, they'll say, oh, well, my, I had a great father. I, no, I didn't have a dysfunctional relationship with my daddy. He was great. But, you know, um, there are, they're not all who are, not all the fathers will have been abusive or cruel. Um, some of them are just depressed. Um, so, for example, if a little girl grows up and her father is depressed and she, and different things have been happening in his life that, you know, he's kind of having a hard life, um, she wishes that she could rescue him from this life. But as a little girl, she can't really rescue him. She, you know, there's nothing that she can do to fix grown-up problems. And so uh, she grows up, when she grows up, she is attracted to men who she can rescue. Because then that makes her feel that's a way of making up for um, what her life was like and how bad she felt um, when she was a little girl. 
So in, to some degree, there's a kind of rescue fantasy for all of the 12 types of bad boys. But for, for certain ones, the, you know, there, there's more, that's, that's more of the main dynamic at play. But even for um, these lethal lovers, to some degree, there's that idea that, um, that you know, in, in this case, Joyce would have felt not so much that she was, I mean, yes, she was rescuing him from a life of continue, being continually in prison, but, um, you know, it's also that he was dependent upon her. In this case, it's more that uh, when women who fall in love with prisoners, it's, it has to do more with the fact that these men are, seem like they're totally dependent upon um, the woman. So if a woman has been cheated upon before, or, um, you know, she's had been rejected before, and she... Um, she wants. She thinks that that in a in a you know paradoxical way, she thinks that a, a man in prison, even if he's a, a cold blooded murderer, that he would be safer for her, that he won't break her heart, um, in the same way that some of the bad boys who have cheated on her um, have done, because he's locked up, he's not going to go anywhere, and she thinks that he she's the only woman in their life, but um, that's not. <laughs> A lot of a lot of times, women are surprised when they find out that really they don't have as much power over the inmate as they thought they did. Yes, they bring cookies, and you know, well, it depends upon the prison what they allow them to bring. But um, you know, they 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 do all kinds of um, things for them. <laughs> Not usually bring them power tools to escape, but you know, they, they give they put money in their account. There are lots of things that they can do. Um, and so they feel that the prisoner is totally dependent and totally, uh, you know, can't wait to get out and be with them and so on, when in fact this prisoner may have several women who are thinking that way. Um, I think I mentioned on the show before a while ago that um, I had, when I was on a talk show, and it was a, it was a show about women who loved bad boys, and particularly women who loved prisoners. And... Um, and so they had some examples, and there was, it turns out that Richard Ramirez, the Night Stalker, had two women who were his girlfriends, so to speak. One he was engaged to, and the other one, I think she thought he was engaged to her. And they didn't, neither one, well, one of them knew about the other one, but thought that she was the, his main squeeze. Um, but the other one didn't know about the other one. And um, when they were both on the talk show, and the one who found out about the other for the first time, they, they got into a physical fight on the stage because, I mean, this, this one woman was so outraged that um, the Night Stalker, he had killed several people, uh, Richard Ramirez, could, could be cheating on her, could, could lie to her, could have lied to her and told her that, you know, she was, she was, she was it. She was who he loved. And in fact, there was this other woman who he was telling the same thing to. But, you know, so even though he was a murderer, it was, she couldn't wrap her head around the idea that he could lie to her in order to keep her hanging um, and, and doting on him, uh, just like he kept the other one. So there's that as well. And there's also a, a, a name has come up um, for this called um, hybristophilia. It comes from the Greek um, hybristo, meaning to commit an outrage against someone or to commit a crime against someone. And philo means having a strong affinity for something or loving something. So in other words, it's loving a man who committed a crime, basically. 
Um, it's also called the Bonnie and Clyde syndrome. And you know some of the some of the examples we were we've heard about certainly Ted Bundy, Jeffrey Dahmer. Um, I mean Ted Bundy was uh, he was one of the most most infamous examples. Um, women came to hit to the courthouse. He crammed the courthouse. We received tons of love letters. Jeffrey Dahmer, uh, same thing. Women sending him love letters, money, and so on. Richard Ramirez, I was mentioning. Charles Manson. Charles Manson. You know, there, there was supposed to be. He was supposed to be getting married. This woman. In fact, um, when this show is over, you can check through the archives. And I did a show um, with a man who wrote a book on Charles Manson, and we talked about the woman who uh, wanted to marry him. And somehow, you know, I didn't really think that that wedding was going to take place. I was very, she was, she was the one who was pushing it. <laughs> and in the end, um, they haven't gotten married, at least not yet. And then, of course, a, a recent example of all this um, is the Boston Marathon terrorist, Sarnayev. He has had um, a ton of women writing to him, sending him things, um, coming to the courthouse, you know, so even a terrorist, it's not just a murderer, <laughs> a terrorist. Um, of course, we have women who are falling in love with terrorists every day through the Internet, but still, um, this is, you know, I think they, they, they convince themselves that those men aren't necessarily as dangerous as we knew the Boston bomber was, I mean, what he already had accomplished. Um, so there, there's, you know, this is not really a unique phenomenon, although... Uh, I'm not sure about whether I haven't really discovered. Um, uh, it's, it's an interesting thing to look into whether there were any women who fell in love with prisoners who then helped them escape. I haven't really heard of that off the top of my head, but I wouldn't. Um, you know, it's, it's not impossible. Um, there's also, you know, the feeling that a woman has that she can change a man. Um, there's the sense that. Um, you know, like I was talking about the rescue fantasy, all bad boys, not just lethal lovers, but all bad boys, that's, that's one of their hooks. A woman looks at them and sees the little, innocent, sweet little boy that they once were. And all of these killers were, at one time, little, little boys who were adorable and who suffered um, tremendous traumas in their life, uh, actually, what makes a bad boy is his dysfunctional relationship with his mother. Um, and so, you know, in other words, even murderers don't, like, they don't just grow, grow that way, or they don't just, um, it isn't something that they sort of decide. I mean, yes, I'm not trying to say that they're not responsible for their actions, but what I mean is it comes for them, too, from a childhood that has turned them into uh, the people who they have become. So the woman who falls in love with them, though, sees beyond that, that outside shell and into this sweet little boy that they once were before life um, made them, you know, hardened them. And then, of course, there's the, uh, there's the like with Charles Manson, I suspected that woman of, of um, wanting to, to exploit him, really, um, for movie deals, book deals, being famous, and so on. So, you know, I, I considered her a bad girl, um, even though, you know, of course, we'd, most people would say Charlie Manson was a bad boy, certainly. But um, she had her own agenda. Well, so there you have it. 
and it'll be interesting to see when and if um, these two prisoners prisoners are caught, and um, it'll be interesting to see what happens to Joyce Mitchell. So the moral of the story is, <laughs> beware, don't help anyone <laughs> um, escape from prison, and uh, think about your own childhood. You know, did you have a mother who... Uh, a dysfunctional relationship with your mother who might have turned you into a bad boy, or did you have a dysfunctional relationship with your father who might have turned you into a bad girl? Something to think about. So thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat. 